Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a great weekend of football ahead of us, and we're going to start things off here talking about some of the big matchups in Saturday scouting. Ben Fennell is going to join the show once again to break down some of the matchups to watch. We've got the Pac-12 returning to action here this weekend, so we'll talk about all of the games that we're excited to watch on top of the traits that matter to us most at the center position. So we'll do all that uh, in our Saturday scouting. After that, uh, a really exciting guest here this week, Mr. Relevant, is going to be NFL Media's Chad Ryder, who is going to, he talks about his role in the draft coverage around NFL.com, NFL Network, and also talk about some players that have really stood out to him so far in this college football season. After that, we'll wrap it up with my friend Ross Tucker, and, and we'll continue uh, our year-long competition uh, in picking games and different outcomes uh, of the college football season. So we'll do all of that at the the end of the show in pick six. Once again, before we get things started, just a quick reminder for those of you guys that have not done it yet. If you can, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It's the best way to boost our show up the rankings and make it more visible to others that are looking for those NFL Draft podcasts. So uh, if you like what you hear on the show, doesn't take long. You can jump on, leave a rating, leave a comment. If you happen to leave a question, we'll answer it here on the show. We do it every single week. Thanks so much to all of you that have already done that, and those of you who are planning to, really, really appreciate everybody who can throw us your support. That being said, let's jump into it now. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's take a look at some of the matchups here for this week with our friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, Pac-12 returns this week, but uh, I'll go off with our first matchup. And before uh, we get out west, we got a big one, obviously. Number one, Clemson. Number four, Notre Dame. A big matchup I'll be interested to talk about after the fact is going to be Clemson running back Travis Etienne against Notre Dame, that front seven, and the big guy that everybody keeps talking about. He's been mocked to the Eagles numerous times all over the, the, the internet and that's Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa with what both guys have done in the passing game and can do in the passing game. I think this could be really interesting. You know, you look at ETN and how he's been featured through the air this year, vertical routes, flexed out wide. I got to think that Owusu-Koromoa is going to be a big factor in trying to limit his production through the air. Uh, And then obviously, look, when ETN can bang it between the tackles, I'm interested to see where, what Owusu Koromoa can do in that department as well. So this is going to be a really interesting prospect, one that uh, when people are evaluating the, the tape of both of these guys, they're going to be looking at this game. So a uh, little interesting one-on-one matchup just to kind of keep an eye on here. Yeah, Travis Etienne actually leading the country in yards after catch by 99 yards more than the next next wow. best uh, receiver running back, which obviously running backs are given more opportunities in the screen game, but 16 yards after catch per reception this year. Wow. So going to be really interesting if they have a little showdown in space to see if a uh, Korma can, uh, can hang with the speed and athleticism ETN who's been so elusive in the open field. All right, Ben. So who's a, a matchup that you're excited to see here? Well, I'm going to stick out here in the PAC 12 with them returning to action. We'll go way out to Pacific Northwest, Oregon state, Washington state, a really good tackle pass rusher uh, matchup here. Hamilcar Rashid jr. Out of Oregon state massive year last year, 22 TFLs, 14 sacks. He's a first team all American, really athletic player. He's a little undersized by NFL standards, but has great athleticism. Reminds me a lot of Josh Allen coming out of Kentucky, who was a first-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's going to be facing Abraham Lucas, left tackle of Washington State, who's a really interesting player. Seems like it's him and Walker Little with the cream of the crop at left tackle now with Penny Sewell opting out of the season. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup, both with NFL pedigrees. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, and I'll give uh, our listeners an idea of how I feel Rashid is going to fare in this matchup. Let's get to the next one here, and I'm going to stay out west with you. USC against Arizona State, and we will be breaking this game down as well later with Ross Tucker. And we'll be talking about these two receivers for USC. Tyler Vaughn, the guy who's played inside and outside or throughout the course of his career, uh, really shifty player, kind of a to give fans a, a kind of a, a picture of him. 
I, th- I kind of talked about him last year as a poor man's Jerry Judy coming out of Alabama. Similar kind of skill set. Obviously not quite the player that Judy was, but similar type of skills. And then you look at Amon Ross St. Brown. I know he's a guy that you have studied. I have not studied him, but uh, with Michael Pittman leaving, going to the NFL, a lot of targets available in that offense. Uh, I'm excited to see what this USC pass game can do. Going up against Arizona State, it's a pro-style defense. Uh, they do It's a pro-style program, really, when you look at all the guys from on both sides of the ball that are running that team. I think when you look at Jar- Jack Jones, the corner for Arizona State, he is undersized. All right, he's 5'9", uh, about 170 pounds. I mean, he's small. But this guy is a really, really interesting player. I mean, you talk about his ability uh, to mirror and play in press coverage. Uh, He can click and close from off coverage. His reaction quickness and man-to-man is really good. Really just a fluid athlete. Really competitive and chippy. I mean, this is a guy that, to me, like I I wrote down Pac-Man Jones when studying Jack Jones. I think that he's got that kind of ability to stick in the league, uh, play play primarily in the slot, but he plays outside. So seeing him matched up against these USC receivers uh, is a game I think a lot of people are going to be watching when they evaluate Jack Jones. Yeah, and they know him pretty well being a USC transfer. Arizona yeah. State has a lot of experience in the back end. They have Chase Lucas at the other cornerback spot. In an interesting nickel safety position, Ashari Crosswell is a guy who's mm. uh, gaining some steam in NFL scouting communities. He's got six picks and 19 PBUs over the last two years, three forced fumbles last year. He's kind of a feisty player. Yeah, but We're going to stick there in the Pac-12. Might as well round it out. UCLA running back receiver, hybrid, do-everything, gadget player. Demetric Felton is one of my favorite players in college football. He's 5'9", 189, was a dual threat kind of a quarterback in high school, then was a receiver prospect coming out, was a four-star, goes to UCLA, and then all of a sudden they play him in the backfield in 2019. But they use him as a receiver out of the backfield, very much like a Tariq Cohen or a Tyler Irvin style of player where you really just want to get the ball in his hands. And it could be a really tough assignment for Colorado linebacker Nate Landman, who's a big physical player. He's every bit of 6'3", 230, big frame. He wears that neck board. He just looks like an old school Zach Thomas, you know, Brian Erlacher type of linebacker. But he struggles with speed and athleticism. So I want to see if they can maybe get Felton matched up on him on third downs or maybe catch him in space in the pass game. That's a, that's a good matchup that I almost uh, had used, actually. And I, I remember back at the Senior Bowl this past January, I talked with Nate Lyer, with uh, Davion Taylor, the Eagles' uh, third-round pick, um, about late, Nate Landman. He told me um, you know, that he was going to be the leader of that defense this year. He was a leader this past year. He was a leader his sophomore year. So he brings those intangibles, that football character uh, that you're certainly looking for at the linebacker spot, um, You know, a guy that could lead in a lot of different ways. Davion really spoke very highly about Nate Landman. So uh, interesting. To kind of see him in that matchup as well. Like I said, nearly used the same one for my second one. All right, uh, let's get now into our mock draft roundup where every single week we pick a mock draft and look at who they've got the Eagles selecting and who else is kind of going in that area. This week, we're going to talk about a guy that we had on the show last week, and that's Joe Marino from the Draft Network. He's got the Eagles picking 19th overall. So as always, we'll take a look at the five picks beforehand. And he's got 14, the Denver Broncos taking Ohio State corner Sean Wade. At 15, he's got the San Francisco 49ers selecting another corner in Georgia's Tyson Campbell. 16, the Miami Dolphins taking Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey. 17, the Las Vegas Raiders selecting edge rusher Quiddy Pay from the University of Michigan. And then 18, the Chicago Bears selecting quarterback Zach Wilson. Ben, uh, what are your takeaways there from the, those first five? Yeah, a couple interesting picks. I'm assuming Zach Wilson is probably QB4 on the pecking order in Chicago hitting reset with the Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles era there uh, in Chicago. And uh, Quiddy Pay just seems like a Raiders style of pick. He's just a hybrid pass rusher. It seems like he's going to fit really well uh, in the uh, silver and black out there. Creed Humphrey plugging into the Dolphins. They took a bunch of offensive linemen uh, last year and Solomon Kinley and Robert Hunt uh, hoping to get, uh, who's the USC kid, the left tackle. Oh, uh, Alex Jackson. Yeah. Uh, was it Jackson? Austin Jackson. Austin, Austin Jackson. Jackson. There you go. Yep. Austin Jackson uh, trying to get a good offensive line for Tua Tungavailo in front of him. And, you know, Tyson Campbell just seems like a Niners type of pick. Uh, no question. A you know, tall, long, bail, cover three corner to uh, play out in that scheme. 
I love that. Of those five, the fit there with Tyson Campbell and the 49ers really makes a lot of sense. I think Zach Wilson is pretty scheme diverse. I think he can kind of go anywhere, but I think you look at Tyson Campbell, um, that, that's a guy that certainly makes uh, a ton of sense there. Uh, let's go now to the five after the Eagles. You look at the 20th overall pick, the Cleveland Browns taking edge, edge player Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. I think that was the pick in the mock we did last week from Eric Edholm as well. Uh, 21st overall, the Jaguars taking a tight end here in Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. 22, the Colts taking Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. 23, the Tampa Bay Bucks selecting defensive tackle Jordan Davis. And then the Baltimore Ravens adding more speed at 24 overall, taking wide receiver Rondell Moore from Purdue. What are your takeaways there, Ben? I think Fryer Muth's more of a day two player, kind of in the ballpark or where Cole Nett went uh, to the Bears in last year's draft. I think it was late second round, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yep. Jordan Davis, big interior defensive lineman. Interesting to play him with the Bucks, who just took high draft capital to take Vita Vea there. Good run defense team, but I think Jordan Davis is much more of an early day three player considering how limited he is in contributing to the pass game. And Rondell Moore, one of the most prolific players with the ball in his hands uh, in college football. Really yep. interesting to plug him into that Ravens offense with, you know, Hollywood Brown, Lamar Jackson, and give him yards after catch opportunities and that RPO kind of based offense. That's a really interesting player to add to an already dynamic group with DuVarnay and James Prochet and all that speed out there. J.K. Dobbins, Rondell Moore, who looks like a thick kind of smaller slot receiver, Ran official 4-3-3 in high school. So this guy has legit, legit speed. Uh, just hoping the injuries in college hasn't set him back. Yeah, I think you're looking at a similar kind of player to pair with Marquise Brown, um, who obviously, look, the production has not been there, but we know the threat that he can be. So, you know, putting those two guys on the field together just gives, uh, you know, the, a little bit more juice to an already juiceful uh, offense there <laughs> in Baltimore. Uh, let's go to the Eagles selection, 19th overall. We've got a repeat, man, from last week. Because Eric Edholm from Yahoo, he also had the Eagles taking linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Got a repeat here. Here's the blurb here uh, from Joe. Philadelphia is leaning, learning a hard lesson this year and that linebackers are important. Owusu-Koromoa is an exceptional coverage linebacker with elite range, and he plays a physical brand of football. He can help elevate the second level of the Eagles defense that is currently gambling with replacement level players that the offenses are exploiting. So that's the blurb uh, there from Joe. Same pick as last week. Uh, just real quick, I guess, the, I, the value, I guess, of Arusu Kormoa is going to be interesting. I don't want to have too much of a repetitive conversation for what we did a week ago. But, you know, looking at that kind of a player, a lot of those guys went, you know, day two. Even though you go back to Miles Jack, like he goes early day two. I know the injury was involved there. I'm just interested to see if a guy with this skill set ends up in round one. Yeah, he's a safety prospect in my opinion. I, know, I see yep. the linebacker listing. Yep. I see, you know, Eagles, you know, hard lesson, the linebackers. And the first thing that, you know, Joe says there is exceptional coverage linebacker with elite range. Those typically aren't the first traits you're looking for for a Mike or a Will linebacker in today's NFL. Mm -hmm. He's an interesting box safety or a big nickel player. Plays out there in space quite often, detached from the box, over the slot receivers, number two, often unaccounted for in the run game. Really good tight end, man-to-man -man coverage, good ball skills, really good blitzer, good pursuit speed, just a good athlete to have on the field to chase. What don't I like? He's a little undersized to play in the box, lacks some power and functional play strength at the point of attack. I'm actually watching him against Michigan right now last year, hmm. watching tight end Sean McKeon block him you know, in the alley, and he just can't get off his block. So I just worry about him playing in the box, having to handle bigger offensive linemen, and just this trend of lumping together hybrid players into the Will linebacker position, I think it's just so dangerous. There's a spot for the big nickel player. There's a spot for the box safety. I mean, our own Malcolm Jenkins played over a thousand snaps for six straight years in that position. Yep. He is he is literally exactly what I want to replace Malcolm Jenkins' role in the Eagles defense. So I think he's a great fit. But I think the conversation about usage and positional designation, I think, is just getting started with a player like this. I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting discussion. He's an underclassman, so we don't know if he's going to declare. But uh, Have you he, done him yet? Like, where do, you, where do you kind of see him fitting or yeah. maybe plugging and playing in, at the next level? So I did him from 2019, and I haven't done this year's film yet. It, to me, like, I, when I watch him, 
I kind of see, you know, we've had this discussion about those halfway players, man. Like, I mean, he plays essentially in the slot, you know, a lot, a good chunk, chunk of the time. He'll play stack, um, but mostly to the field, he'll play over the number three receiver, sometimes over number two. And I think it's 6'1", 220. I don't blame you for having him in the safety spot. I mean, he was a safety coming out of high school. Uh, he was ranked by as a safety by most services. Obviously, listed as a linebacker, meets with the linebackers. Um I'm, I'm interested, man, because I, I think when you look, he's got uh, certainly the athleticism is intriguing. But you talk about the ability to get off blocks, the ability to play through contact. Uh, receivers and running backs got the best of him, you know, in those one-on-one kind of matchups. He got stuck to blocks at the point of attack. Not a guy that you would say is an overall, overall like a vicious or a physical tackler one-on-one. Um, inconsistent technique. He lost, lacks that pop on contact. Missed a lot of tackles from games I watched last year. But with what he can do in the passing game, I get it. I, I get that that's the, the value. I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion uh, with this kid. And again, that's based off of 2019. I'm interested to dig into the 2020 film and see if I see something uh, a little bit different. But um, there's certainly, like I said, one of the more intriguing players that we will be talking about for a long time here uh, on this show. So I think a lot of fans like point to other case studies like, oh, well, Fred Warner did it at BYU. But it's important to note Fred Warner had better size. The first thing I noted in Fred Warner's evaluation the ability to get off blocks in a variety of ways. He played in the box quite a bit at BYU, also detached in that same way. But I had a number of times him getting off blocks of pulling guards, tight ends, you know, uh, you know, players out in the alley and receivers where he would just bully. There's a reason why Darren Lee was in the same position, yep. was a first-round pick, a 4-4 linebacker, everybody salivating and saying, this is exactly what the NFL wants at linebacker, explosive speed, and he's out of the league. And I think he's actually on a practice squad right now and just barely hanging on to a career. Why is that? Why could it, such a freak player of athleticism at the linebacker position not figure it out? Because we took somebody that played this hybrid role and said, go play Will Linebacker. And he struggled. And it's such a dangerous trend for scouts to take and lump together these undersized defensive ends, a.k.a. Hassan Reddick, oversized safeties, you know, for lack of a better word, Darren Lees, and saying, you know what, everyone go to the Will Linebacker spot. It's just a very dangerous trend that I see, and it's a bit of buyer beware, you know, on on just lumping together those players. And to your point on Fred Warner, I mean, Fred Warner, while he lined up in the slot, I mean, he was a three-four outside linebacker. Like that's what his role was in that. He was a three when they played base. I mean, he was an odd front outside backer. He'd play over the tight end. He'd play over tackle. He was having to, he was having to deal with contact on a consistent basis. And yeah, since he played to the field against three-by-one sets, he would move out over the slot, and you would have to see him play in space. Uh, but that wasn't, like, the, what he hung his hat on. And so, that to me, that's why I had a little bit more faith, as you did as well, about his ability to transition to a more off-ball role in, in the NFL, more traditional role. Uh, it's it's going to be a transition. It's going to be uh, – you're, you're going to have to take your lumps early on. We'll, we'll see. Um, it's going to be, like I said, it's a very interesting player uh, to talk about here over the next few months. Let's now get to our under-the-hood segment here where every week we pick a position. We pick three tra- factors or traits that really mean most to us when we're evalu- evaluating it. And you and I talked about it earlier this week. said, what position do we want to do? And we, and we kind of settled in on center. I thought it was a good idea on your part. So let's talk about centers. I'll let you start things off here. What's the number one trait that you're looking for at the center position? Well, the first thing I'm going to need is mental processing and football intelligence. You're pretty much an extension of the quarterback position and the coaching staff, you know, on the field there. You're setting protections, you're identifying threats, you're making adjustments. I mean, you just have to think of how much, how many centers are taking the pressure and the mental, uh, you know, down to down stress off the quarterback position by, you know, also setting the protections and identifying mic points and adjusting the run schemes. You know, you just have to really be able to process things on the fly, not only in the huddle, pre-snap, you know, post-snap, on the move. Uh, we just obviously need somebody with great football intelligence. You need to be smart, quick-minded, book smart. Mental mistakes at this position, Fran, will doom an offense. They'll do them a play before it even has a chance to start, before you even have a chance to lose physically. Mental mistakes starting from the inside out, and that's the center position, will kill teams. So you got to be, uh, obviously, an elite player with mental processing and FBI. It's my number one trait as well. And the big thing is, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, I've heard from some people that listen to the show, and they'll say, like, man, it's, it's interesting, though, when you guys do these segments, you talk so much about the off-field traits uh, at these positions and why they're so important. And to me, like, 
Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of the entire puzzle when you're looking at a lot of these players. And when you look at center, mental processing, you look at who are the who are some of the best centers around the NFL, you're going to see some guys like, you know, Jason Kelsey here in Philadelphia who are, you know, 6'2", 6'3", they're 295, 290. And then you see some guys who are 6'5", 335, and they all can have success. There's lots of body types out there. There's lots of uh, ways that you got, you can win at the center spot. But that non-negotiable is the mental processing for all the things that you highlighted, and that's why that is number one for me. You, 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 I think when you, we talked about the evolution of the quarterback position and things we've taken off their plate, right, and that's why you get some of these young guys that can come in and have success, a lot of the reason for that is that a lot of it goes on the center, right? So some of it's going to go to the head coach, and you, know, you talk about Sean McVay and what he does for Jared Goff and things like that. But more often than not, a lot of that mental burden pre-snap is going to go on the center. So you need a guy that has a full understanding of fronts, pressures, coverages, the best offensive lineman. They're not just reading the guy that's in front of them, the guy the front seven. They're also looking at, from a coverage standpoint, to get a sense of, are they going to be blitzing here? Are they going to be sending an extra guy in the boxes or a guy that we're not accounting for because they're going to rotate coverage and they're trying to disguise what they're doing? Mental processing, a huge part of playing the center spot. All right, let's go to your, your second one here. You know, the second one I'm going to go with, and it's kind of a, uh, an interesting philosophical discussion about the player profile and the trait profile of the center okay. position, um, whether you want, you know, a traditional kind of fat guy up front or one of these undersized athletic guys. Yeah. And I lean more towards the athletic, flexible, quick-footed guy at the center position. And here in Philadelphia, we have a pretty good one, Jason Kelsey. That early in his career, a lot of people didn't think he was suited to play center, play offensive line in the NFL because of his lack of size. Literally to the point where he was on the hot seat for a full calendar year, whether you know he could survive in the NFL. But the ability to climb to the second level, to reach block three techniques, the screen game in the open field, we've seen when you use him and use his skill set and put him in positions to be successful, his traits and, you know, ability have a place in the NFL. And I think using that athleticism to go chase second level, you know, uh, defenders or, you know, have being quick footed off the ball, I think just gives your offense so much more play calling flexibility. And it's just an interesting evolution because in the 60s and the 50s, offensive linemen were pretty athletic. And there's a lot of sweeps. There was a lot of pulls. You're getting out to the alley. You know, we all know the Packers sweep, obviously pulling centers and guards quite often. And then through the 80s and 90s, it was more about vertical displacement. It was more about moving bodies down the field and backs got bigger with Jerome Bettis's of the world and centers got bigger with Dermani Dawson's. And now we're kind of going to more of an athletic lateral stretch game again with, you know, obviously the outside zone and using every green grass horizontally. That means you need offensive linemen to get out there as well. When you have a guy like a Jason Kelsey, which is just a great example to keep pointing to, uh, I think all fans know what we're referring to with a Jason Kelsey style of player. I just love the athleticism and the flexibility it just gives your offense. Yeah, and I think that you know when you look at that, there's so a lot of it always. And this is the case with every position we talk about. It does depend on the scheme that you run and, and how you plan on using those guys. But when you have that level of athleticism, it certainly it certainly allows you more flexibility with what you can do schematically, game plan wise, week to week basis. If you've got a guy that can get out in space to the not just the second level but to the third level and be used as a puller on those pin pull schemes, uh, you know, on different counter plays. I mean, that certainly uh, does play a lot into that. All all right, let's get to my second one here. And to me, um, it's all about competitive toughness. You know, we talk about this every week, but, you know, at the center spot, you're dealing with big bodies at defensive tackle. You're dealing with uh, the nose guards right over you. You're going to be overmatched sometimes from a size-strength standpoint. I need you to scrap. I need you to be a guy that's not going to get uh, completely bowled over. Some play strength is going to be needed there, but you need that mentality as well to be able to hang with some of those big boys inside. We, tell, we say it all the time, the closer you get into the football, you're dealing with more traffic, with more bodies. You've got to be able to handle that, be able to play through that contact, have that physical edge. Well, there's no one closer to the ball on a weekly, ba- on a snap to snap basis than the center. So you certainly need that. And then also too, the ability to play through injury. You know, we talk about that all the time with offensive linemen and, you know, it's, a, it's the case with every position, but there's no better ability than availability. Offensive line, I think is absolutely one of those places you're going to, you are going to get beaten up. And I think you go look at, um, you know, a piece that uh, Bo Wolf, our, our friend Bo Wolf over the athletic, he actually did a piece last year. I think he released it earlier this calendar year, uh, January, February about Jason Kelsey, um, you know, and all the injuries that he dealt with on a week to week basis. 
Kelsey's not the only one that deals with that. That is, that is all <laughs> offensive linemen. Uh, and when you are the center, you're going to see a lot of that. So I think to me, uh, toughness, a huge, huge part of playing the center position. I love just going through the pros and cons because there's no right or wrong way, you know, to do talk about the profile of the position. And for everything good, we just talked about the athletic undersized guy. You just brought up the number one issue with it. What happens when you put a 330 pound nose tackle right over his face? Yep. There's a reason why in UFC and boxing, we have different weight classes. Right. You know, you don't get to say, hold on a second where ref, this guy outweighs me. This isn't a fair matchup. There's <laughs> pros and cons. And, you know, obviously putting guys in positions to be successful. And then there's conflicting philosophical approaches with each of your line of scrimmage. But, yeah, I'll just kind of take your last point there and just one more step with that mental toughness, that competitive edge. Like all players in the NFL, we want tough players. We want reliable players. We want players that practice well. But at this position particularly, I need continuity. Mm -hmm. I can't have a revolving door at the center position. We need a consistent voice. Not only, I know the quarterback's usually one in the huddle, but for lack of a better word, we need a consistent voice in the huddle at the center position, at the line of scrimmage, communicating to your offensive lineman to the left and to the right of you. I think having that continuity at the center position particularly is such a make or break for the entire unit because you have to have somebody you can trust in there to know to make those calls, those checks. That left tackle is looking at the center to say, put me in a position to be successful. I'm trusting you to give me a good assignment here. And I know we're kind of bastardizing and simplifying it, but in a lot of offensive lines, that's how it is. And there can be frustration after the play when a center maybe made a wrong mic point or a wrong check or didn't see a safety down in the box. That's a potential threat for the offensive line. I think having that consistent voice and in order to do that, you have to be mentally tough. You have to be able to play with pain, practice with pain, know how to you know fight in the fourth quarter. And like you're saying, you're going to have some really tough assignments, some tough boxing matches where you're really outgunned. You got to keep scrapping. You don't get to call timeout and say, hold on, let's put the big center in for when they put the big guy over me. You got to fight. It's not always fun, but, you know, it's a it's a position that's really fun to analyze because of that. So my third one is the athleticism, which I thought you hit on uh, earlier. So rather than go through some of those things, I want to quickly ask you one question. Um, so one, and this is off the cuff. We didn't plan for this one. A lot of people, when you look at offensive linemen, uh, you'll look at arm length. Right. And you'll say that, well, arm length doesn't matter as much for centers. Why is that in your mind? Why do you feel like you know, people are willing to forgive a lack of length at the center spot, uh, maybe even a lack of play strength at the center spot as opposed to guard and tackle? You know, that is really interesting. Um, you know, they typically have a shorter profile, so typically they'll have shorter arms. Um, but generally the players they're going against are also squattier and shorter as well. Those no, no tackle types typically aren't the longest, you know, profiled players. So, um, conflicting, you know, based on who they're going against, I would think they wouldn't need that length as much as, you know, some of these six, six players on the edge where tackles really need to have that length in order to counter the length of the players they're going against. There's probably a number of reasons for this. And, you know, I'd rather a center with quick hands than long arms. Hundred percent. You're snapping that ball and re you know, reacting right away to somebody over you. The length you're not getting to full extension. You need to get your hands in a position to have your body survive and your leverage survive. Not necessarily say I need to get to a lockout position and use every inch of of my reach and length there. I think the play speed is so important there. You're talking about like that's one thing I, I'm always looking at is what is the snap to block twi uh, quickness there for a center. And to your point too. How often is it that we see a center left one-on-one -on -one with a guy, right, where he doesn't have a guard working alongside him? So if you're willing to say, we look, not everything can be a priority because if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So if you're going to prioritize mental processing and athleticism and, uh, you know, the toughness aspect, all these other things, you've got to be able to forgive some other things. You've got to be able to look past, uh, you know, a lack of length and say, all right, well, look, he brings X, Y, Z. He doesn't quite have the length. We can overcome that because how many times is he going to be left one-on-one -on -one anyway? And I think that that's a, a big part uh, of the equation there when you're looking at the center position. Um, so I, I just felt like that was something that we could talk about uh, before we move into the next part of the discussion. And I think uh, the next question that we always hit on is what separates the elite centers, because you know we're looking at who are the blue-chip guys in the league, from the good players at this spot? What is it in your mind? You know, in a very strange way, it's kind of particular, because I need a center with extremely loose hips. 
And I think it allows you to do a lot of things in combination with that athleticism we were talking about, from firing out and getting out of the blocks and being able to reach block three techniques, from reacting to TT stunts, from having your hips one side of this, you know, facing one sideline, having to rotate them to the other side to pick up a twister, or, you know, so many moving parts in the trenches there with your combo blocks where you have to react one way and then, you know, uh, block back on a little doodad or a combo block the other direction. Direction. We've seen Kelsey so many times literally have to get skinny in the hole to get out on a screen pass and then get into a full sprint and then react to a moving part out in the perimeter. Hmm. All that is just lower body flexibility, lower body looseness. And a lot of that just goes with your hips. It's not a position you typically look at those and say, oh, that player's got some oily hips. It's typically reserved for the cornerbacks right. of the world and all those fun Mike Mayock draftisms we've picked up over the years. But, uh, you know, collectively, just thinking about that that's what I like out of all all the elite centers in the NFL I think looking at the elites and just trying to figure out like all right well, who who would you say are the best it's interesting because I feel like if you if you pulled people that like watch you know offensive line guys like people that watch offensive line play week to week you look at I feel like you know Ryan Kelly when fully healthy uh, Marquise Pouncey Alex Mack certainly Jason Kelsey but then you get into guys like Rodney Hudson, uh, Mitch Morse, Ryan Jensen, um, Mike Pouncey, Weston Richburg, who has not, who's just not, has not been healthy. Matt Paradis, uh, now in Carolina, previously with Denver. Like there are Ben Jones in, in Tennessee. There are so many guys that you would say like, oh man, like this guy is probably a top five center in the league. Probably a top, there are a bunch of, they can't all be uh, top five centers in the league, but it's interesting to me. Like the thing that I look for, who can best check all the boxes in terms of the physical traits, right? So when you're talking, uh, in my mind, it's athleticism, strength, so the ability to hold the pocket uh, against uh, against a bull rusher, and then power, the ability to displace guys uh, one-on-one, move people against their will. The guys that can best check those three physical traits while still bringing the stuff that we talked about in terms of uh, you know that, that snap-to-block quickness, the, the mental processing, the toughness, if you can bring that and then also bring those physical traits – now that's where we're saying, yeah, this guy's one of the elites uh, in the NFL, and that's not hard to, or not easy to find. So uh, to me, that's what really separates uh, you know, the cream of the crop there. You're talking about Ryan Kelly and Alex Mack and Pouncey uh, and those types. Well, of let things. me ask you then, Fran, do you think the center position, can we survive with having a guy that's extremely tough really good, you know, mental makeup and, you know, uh, play processing and football intelligence, but maybe lacks some true ability, whether yeah. it's the athleticism or whether it's the power but you're so smart, you're so tough, you're so reliable. It's kind of, it's very much like a Ryan Jensen in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Who I'm telling is. you, you see this guy without pads in the airport. You're like, this guy's a professional athlete. He's just a little frumpy looking. He doesn't have, you know, a great looking body. He's kind of squatty. He's a little thick in some bad places. This guy is tough as holy hell, smart as holy hell, reliable as holy hell. Now, he's powerful, obviously. I'm not yeah. saying he doesn't have an ability. He's tough as nails, yep. Yeah, but he just doesn't He doesn't have any of those elite you know, traits, I think, uh, as far as the on-field ability where you're like, oh, okay, he's one of the best centers in the league because he has this. No, Ryan Jensen is one of the best centers in the league because of all those things. But, you know, just kind of fun to look at the different profiles at that position. Yeah, I think, like, you could definitely get by. You know, that's or Ryan Jensen. I might have said Ryan Kelly there. But. No, you no, you said Ryan Jensen. But okay. even, like, just looking at, like, you know, like uh, Austin Blythe, right, with the Rams. You know, like the Ted Karras uh, with the Dolphins, previously with the Patriots. Uh, Brandon Linder in Jacksonville. Like, Weston Richburg. Yeah, yeah Weston, like, yeah. you know, Chase Roulier, like Matt Skura in Baltimore, one of the best. You know, that's why, like, you look at these guys, they're not, like, super physically imposing. And I, it's funny, I've talked with a lot of guys that watch offensive line play on a week-to-week basis and say, like, hey, what do you think is harder to find? Is it harder to find a really good guard or is it harder to find a really good center? I'm telling you, the guys that I asked that question to this offseason split, like right down the middle. It's a, I think it's a really interesting discussion. That is kind of fun. You know, I don't think the average fans know who the best centers in the league are. Right. I think we know the household names, you know, the Pounceys and Kelsey. Like Ryan Jensen's probably wouldn't be a top five name at center or Matt Skura. It's very much like the nickelback position. I was just talking with a buddy, and like the elite nickels aren't household names. Like nobody knows who Kenny Moore is for the Colts, one of the best nickels, or Brian Poole, or even Mike Hilton for the for right. the Steelers, one of the best blitzing slot players in the league. Just uh, interesting positions that don't typically have a lot of household names. These guys aren't on your fantasy teams, uh, but you have to watch the tape and really watch them on a down to down, week to week basis to appreciate it. 
No question about it. It's a, it's a really fun conversation. And uh, real quick before we put the, close the book on it, who are the centers in this class that you feel have really caught your eye and where you think like this guy's got the ability to be a future starter in the NFL? It's a good year for center. I see a lot of intriguing guys. You go out west, look at Drew Dahlman out there at Stanford, who looks really good. Landon Dickerson, Alabama, the Florida State transfer, has starts. Left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. She just loved that at the center position. Right. A guy that understands every position because he's been there. You had Alec Lindstrom, brother Chris at Boston College. Uh, you know, obviously we all, we know Creed Humphrey at Oklahoma has been getting first round buzz for like two years now. Really fun group. Jimmy Morrissey at Pitt. Tons, tons of ball. You know, he's a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of redeeming traits or qualities. He's probably a day three, an undrafted guy. He's a guy that I would peg to go, you know, he might make a team because he's so smart. He's so reliable. He has some positional flexibility. Just real fun to kind of go through all these different uh, uh, bodies and types, especially at the college football level and projecting to the NFL level. Yeah, I think when you look at at Lindstrom, he's the guy that, uh, you know, really has piqued my interest. But I think when you look at both he, uh, Creed Humphrey, I would throw Josh Myers from Ohio State into that group as well. I think you're checking a lot of the, you know, what did I talk about? The guys that can check a lot of boxes from a physical standpoint, I think Lindstrom, Humphrey, and Myers, all three of these guys, I would say that solid to good athletes, certainly functional athletes, and then also really strong, uh, immovable anchor, tough to really push back into the pocket. They're not extremely powerful, but you talk about those three boxes, they all three of those guys check two of the three. So I'm looking at like, all right, like this is something I could definitely work with. I thought I thought Lindstrom really reminds me of like a Rodney Hudson, uh, you know, Humphrey and Myers. I thought were really both very comparable to a lot of guys. You look around the league right now. Um, yeah, I yeah, I'm excited about the center class overall. And I haven't watched nearly as many uh, as you have. But I, I've done, you know, Drake Jackson from Kentucky. I think he's a really good player. I've done Marcy from Pitt. Uh, he's a Philly kid. I think he's a good player as well. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty good center class overall. So excited to keep talking about them uh, we'll always try and give love to the interior line Ben. I don't know why I get so enamored with the, the guys that have played center at one point and also played tackle at one point right yeah you know whether uh it was the uh, uh Cody Whitehairs of the world at Kansas State who had carved out an interior offensive lineman role with the Bears or like Derek Kerstetter at Texas played right tackle for three years at Texas all of a sudden moved over to center this year. It's like, okay. And we already talked about Landon Dickerson, just having that positional flexibility. Number one, just showing what else you can do for an NFL team. But number two, just understanding other positions as well, because you have been there. I just think uh, just goes to the full package of what you can bring. I think it's really fun too, to look at the guys that were college tackles that people are like, oh yeah, like, yeah, he's a tackle, but we think he could be a center. And right. you know, there, there are a lot of those guys. Like even like um, uh, the kid that the Eagles just took out of Auburn, Jack Driscoll. There was mm-hmm. a lot of thought, like, oh yeah, like he's a center down the road. There was they were talking about that with Jonah Williams. He was a first. Yeah. The Kansas pick. left tackle uh, Akeem Adeniji just Adenogy, got his yeah. first start last week for the Bengals at left tackle. But as soon as Les Miles showed up at Kansas, they started dabbling with this six-six tackle at center. Yeah, or like Michael Michael Jordan at Ohio State went from left tackle to left guard yeah. to center. Mitch Morse you know? at Mitch Morse at uh, Missouri. He was no the question. left tackle yeah, and he went into the center. Really interesting uh, to kind of watch this and uh, so many different shapes and sizes at this position. I would have never thought Ethan Poshik at LSU yeah. could play the center position at six six or whatever he is, and yep. he's the starting center for the the Seahawks right now, if I'm not mistaken. No question, it's a it's a really fun position to study, and uh, you know we'll continue having these kind of conversations. Ben, thanks so much once again for uh, your contributions here for Saturday Scouting. We'll talk to you next week with Dane. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome in this week for the very first time on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Chad Ryder, who is a researcher and analyst for NFL Media. You can follow him on Twitter, just like I have for years and years and years, and that's at Chad underscore Ryder. Chad, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Fran, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, real quick, because I think you've got one of the coolest jobs in the industry. And before we talk about some players for this year's NFL Draft, just give fans and our listeners like an insight into what you do for NFL.com for NFL Media. Well, I am, uh, as you mentioned, a researcher and analyst. Uh, I'm sort of an advanced scout uh, for the guys. Yep. And the, the week after last year's draft, I start pulling up stories for next year's draft. I send a list. It's about 40 pages worth of draft stories to um, all the guys with the network and, and uh, with NFL media, just so they kind of know a lot of the guys uh, can start doing their research in the summer. 
Um, we do a lot of long form pieces on NFL.com about, you know, special project, uh, prospect stories. So I get that information to them, you know, as, as soon as I can in May. Uh, and then uh, over the summer, I'm just researching players, putting together a lot of information. Uh, you guys, if you look, watch the telecast and you see each of the guys on stage has a big binder full of stuff in front of okay. them. I, I put together a lot of that with uh, some of the other research guys that are out in California. So uh, that's a lot. And then I'm lucky enough to be able to get to do things like seven round mock drafts, That's right, uh, yes. <laughs> which, which people hate. I do draft grades, which people hate, but that's okay. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's fun. Um, the seven round mock drafts really kind of a puzzle and, uh, and it's yep. fun to do these puzzles and, uh, the draft grades I have to write as the draft is going on and I have to submit immediately after the draft is done. So I don't get any time to think about it. So yeah. it's just like, what I, what I want to say when I want to say it and that's it. And so, um, but you know, I get to do a lot of fun things. It's, it's a great job and it's, I've been there for, this will be my ninth draft. I think there yep. I've been following the draft for 20 years now. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's I'm very fortunate to be able to do this stuff. Yeah. You and I have been in contact for a long time and just, um, you know, I know that you, you, the work that you do is just, uh, obviously it's really important for everybody that's over at NFL media. Um, but it's also just really cool. Like you, uh, the way that you explained it as being an advanced scout, uh, for that, for those guys is, is a perfect way to kind of, uh, you know, picture that for the, for the listeners. So I'm really glad uh, that you kind of put it that way. I, I want to follow up real quickly. Is there a guy in this class who, while you were doing, you've been doing this research over the last few months, whose story or just, you know, like their, their background has really kind of stuck with you most, you know, going into what, what are we like, we're halfway through the, the college season at this point? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I said, I put together about 40 pages of information um, on all these different prospects, like 500 some prospects and um, just like little summaries and links to articles and stuff like that. So people can check them out. There are so many good stories, every draft. Um, there's, you know, like Dylan Moses from Alabama linebackers on the, you know, front page of Sports Illustrated in eighth grade as a top recruit. And look where he is now, you know, uh, those stories don't always end well. And so that's mm -hmm. a great one. Um, and, you know, one of the best stories in this class, I really think, is the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence growing up pretty close to each other, kind of through youth, youth football, high school football, now in the college level. It's a really interesting story that two guys – are tied together so much for, for many years. Um, mm. Terrace Marshall, Marshall from LSU. He's the great nephew of Joe Delaney, who was a great running back in the NFL who passed away um, trying to save kids in the pool. He couldn't even swim. And this guy went in there and what a hero, you know? So just all kinds of these kind of stories. You, you got the Australian punters, Max Duffy from Kentucky is one of them. There's loads of them now. Um, then you have interesting stories like Quiddy Pay from, from Michigan, his mom right. fled Liberia, you know? Yep. So, I mean, there's just all these great stories, these backstories with these guys and you see them, you know, in the draft, I start that process in May and June and they end up, you know, on the, during the draft in the following April. So it's, 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 um, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a cool part of the job, uh, you know, just the, in terms of part of the whole process. What is it? What is it that brought you into doing that? Like, what? Where did you get uh, that drive to be able to kind of dive into uh, these guys' backgrounds? Well, I haven't been uh, called certifiably insane yet, but <laughs> I'm making my way there. Uh, when I started doing this stuff, you know, 20 years ago, that that part of it um, really you know, tried to set me apart from other people. And um, I was doing stuff on my own for a few years and I would put together, you know, statistics and these kind of stories and, and package them together and send to teams. And that kind of got me on um, some people's radars. And, and that, so that, that's something that wasn't being done as much as, you know, um, in, in 2000, the internet yeah. uh, draft, game was just kind of starting up. And so, you know, I was doing stuff. And so it just kind of became part of my shtick, I guess. And, um, um, I put in for a research job, uh, with the network and, and, um, uh, a year later they got back to me and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, the way things go sometimes you just have to stick with it. Sure. Well, let's get into some of these players, man. We're a couple months into college football. Like I said, uh, who's a player, that has really kind of caught your eye and made you think like, man, like, all right, like uh, I need to do a little bit more work on this guy uh, moving forward. Cause he's a guy that we're going to be talking about here in a few months. Yeah. And I think one of the top guys um, is, is Zach Wilson. Who I have right over here. Uh, <laughs> right behind oh, 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 it, went, it went away now, uh, <laughs> but no, he's uh, 
it's really fun. He, you know, BYU, it's so funny with the way that things have worked out because of COVID. Some schools that started playing right away um, got their guys out there a little bit. And, yeah. and they're, they're really taking advantage of that. Zach Wilson, BYU is one of them quarterback who he's sort of, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but man, he can hurl it. He sort of reminds me of Aaron Rodgers at this point in his life, you know, an underclassman, not the biggest guy, but he throws it with a, such a tight spiral and so accurately that I really think his NFL future is bright. So he's a guy that I've really been impressed with. Um, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, people knew about him, but he's really, he's kind of taken that Jedrick, Jedrick Wills yeah. kind of ascension this year. So I think he's going to be that kind of guy this year. Um, you know, a guy that I'm, I'm, I'm a big fat guy, so I like offensive linemen. <laughs> and a guy that I love watching is Sidarius Hutcherson from, from South Carolina. Um, not only because he goes mid-riff, which is really, really, um, you know, a strong look for an offensive lineman. Who, does, who doesn't love a mid-riff at the end of the day? Right, exactly. So, but he's he is athletic. He is <laughs> tough. He is strong. He's he's all of that. So I really I love watching him. Um, there's so many. I mean, there's so many great stories. Jonathan Adam from Arkansas State. Mm, yep. Uh, you know, talented guy. And again, one of these these teams started playing right away in September. Some belt teams, and they're getting some run because of it. Um, uh, Kylan Granson, the, the H back slash tight end from SMU. Yep. He's, he's taking advantage of the situation too. Unfortunately, his teammate, Reggie Robertson, who yeah. really came out strong, got injured, but he's going to be the next SMU guy in the NFL that people may not have really paid attention to, but, um, he's a fantastic player too. So he was on a top 50 trajectory. Maybe now he drops a little bit because of the injury, but uh, boy, just what a fantastic player! So there's tons of guys. It's it's just great to have college football. Period. Um, no question. And you talk about uh, Zach Wilson at the top there, and comparing him to Aaron yeah. Rodgers. Yeah, I mean you've been doing this, like you said, you've been almost a decade with with the network. You've been covering the draft for 20 years. So looking at it from that standpoint, I love like talking with people and getting those kind of uh, you know you get the player comps all the time. But right. in terms of like a story and a profile, I think you bring like an interesting element to those player comps. And certainly uh, when you look at Zach Wilson, I mean, it's, it's tough not to see that kind of comparison to an era. Right. Making that comp to an elite player. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's worth it. It's limited. It's limited in the scope of what I saw at Cal with Aaron yeah. Rodgers and what Wilson's doing now in terms of like, he's in the pocket. He throws it accurately all over the place. Every time. Yep. And people, yeah, and, and people, um, when Rodgers came out, this is a benefit of being old, as you remember what people <laughs> say when people come right. out, right? People say, oh, he doesn't have that good of an arm. Well, that was, I wrote that that was garbage at the time, and we've seen as he's gotten older, his arm's gotten stronger. But really what, was, what I see there is a guy who the ball comes out tight every time. Mm. And if you can do that, even if you don't have the, you know, a Matt Stafford arm, if you can do that, you can get the ball in places where other quarterbacks can't, if they can't deliver it that way. So, and Wilson's got some mobility too, like Aaron Rodgers. So that's what I yeah. see that kind of skill set with him. Who's a player that you are higher on than most in, you know, in the draft community, I would say, uh, when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, we'll start on offense. Well, I don't, I guess I honestly, like I don't pay attention to a lot of right. people are saying because you know, I do, if somebody brings somebody up, I like to look at them and, and whatever, but really um, a guy that I love and I think is going to be right up there with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and with the running backs is Muhammad Ibrahim from, from Minnesota. Ooh. I think he's the, he's the Clyde Edwards Hilaire of this, of this. Group. Oh, nice. Okay. He is, he is really a talented back and um, with Minnesota, not necessarily being at the top of everybody's list, Maybe he falls down a little bit uh, in terms of um, the way people look at him. But, boy, I just see a bunch of potential with him. Um, he's just fun to watch, low center of gravity, tough as hell, and he's fast, and he does a little bit of everything. So I could see, I could see that sort of comp coming down the road for him um, if everything works out. I love it. Uh, what the same question now on defense. Who's the guy you're higher on on that side of the ball? Uh, I think there's a guy from Tulsa named Zaven Collins. And yeah, I'm, so, I'm starting to hear a lot of buzz about this kid, man. Yeah. So, so he's a junior, but I think, you know, there's a lot of reason for him to, to come out. Uh, I think he's, he's a big, big bodied athlete learning 
still kind of learning the game, but boy, yeah. I think he could be really um, a dominating guy who's an edge, but I think he can move in space well enough to handle responsibilities outside of just rushing the passer. And I think he's, you're just going to hear his name, um, you know, creep up more and more over time. It's, it's, uh, you know, fine. And then I'm going to throw in a few other, a couple other names here that people, if they haven't paid attention yet, Dion Noville from, from, from North Texas, uh, defensive tackle is a guy that's not getting much pub now, but he's going to hit all-star games. He's going to be at the comp. He's, this is a guy that you're going to want to watch. He's just a massive guy in the sort of an Akeem Hicks kind of okay. story. Nice. Big 340 pounder moves really well good length. He, he's a guy that really people need to know. Um, and Taylon Humphrey is another defensive tackle from Louisiana. Juco guy sat out last year, but if you watch him play, watch Louisiana, watch the big guy in the middle. Um, he's another guy that I wanted to mention in this video. Cause I think he's another guy that's kind of making that story for himself to get up there. So interesting. I, I'm glad you brought up Saving Collins. We haven't talked about him really at all. And I'm telling you, I've, I've heard a, a couple of people have told me that this is a guy to watch and potential like top 50, top 40 buzz. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he's certainly that kind of player, dude. He, Chad, yeah. this is this has been great, man. Thank you so much for jumping on with us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, hopefully somewhere we'll be able to be in the same place. I don't know where that's going to be, but somewhere. Somewhere soon. Chad, thanks so much, yeah. man. Thanks, friend. Appreciate it. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, happy to welcome back for another another edition here of Pick 6, my friend Ross Tucker. And Ross, I wish I could say that it was a, a good weekend for you this past week, but I picked up three games on you, man. Just real quick, just a quick recap. Uh, on the over-under, six-and-a-half tackles for loss for Georgia's defense against Kentucky. I took the under. You took the over. I came out on top on that one. Uh, in the Chris Olave, Pratt Frymuth catches versus uh, Ohio State margin of victory, I took the margin. You took the catches. I came up with the W on that one. And then the Virginia Tech margin over Louisville versus the Khalil Herbert touchdowns. I took the margin. You took Louisville uh, winning that game. So I took the win in that one. So uh, picked up three on you last week, man. I've extended my lead to five games now. Uh, what are we in week nine, week 10 of college football? Yeah, I knew uh, when Virginia Tech beat Louisville, I knew I was in trouble there. I knew <laughs> I was in trouble in the Penn State game. How many tackles for loss did Georgia end up with? Do you know? They, uh, they ended up, I believe it was with, I believe it was four. And okay. They, they so they were I stink. All that means I'm going to be awesome this week. That's, That's all right. that means is this is going to be my week right now. It's a progression back to the mean. Well, let's get let's get to the, the start start here. I wanted to focus mostly Pac-12 here with the return of the Pac-12 this week, but a couple of big ones here that I wanted to hit on, and I'll pick them to start in the SEC. Big one here: Florida versus Georgia. This is essentially an SEC East title game here. Uh, interested to get you, your thoughts. Who do you like here: the Bulldogs or the Gators? So uh, should be an awesome game, and it's cool because I really went back and forth on this one. Yeah, I, I really. I could go either way. Florida, I think, has the better quarterback with Kyle Trask. We all know Kyle Pitts, the Philly kid, how good he is. But Florida's defense has been disappointing this year. Georgia's defense, I know Bama scored some points, but Georgia's defense is nasty. I'm taking the Bulldogs. I feel like the Bulldogs, they've already played Alabama. They've already played a better team than Florida. I don't see them losing again. I'm taking the Bulldogs, even though I think Florida has the better quarterback. So we've got a swing game here because I'm going to take the Gators. And really the big thing, Georgia's beat up. I mean, they had a little bit of a lackluster win over Kentucky last week. But, you know, George Pickens, the stud receiver, did not play against Kentucky. They've got a bunch of other injuries. I mean, Jordan Davis left the game last week. Monty Rice, the linebacker. DJ Daniel in the secondary. Quay Walker, the list goes on and on. And then the star, the star safety, Richard LeCount, he's in the hospital due to a car accident after the game. So to me, like, I look at this Georgia team. And they're just banged up right now. Uh, I'm going to go with the Gators. You, you mentioned Kyle Trask. You mentioned Kyle Pitts. I'll talk about Kadarius Tony. I mean, he got unleashed last week uh, against Missouri. We had Dane on earlier this week. Dane Brugler talked about uh, Kadarius Tony and what he was able to do both as a runner and as a pass catcher. This guy is dynamite personified. And then you look at Brenton Cox, another guy that we talked about earlier this week on the show. Uh, ben had talked about him. And this is a guy that's returning to play his former team on the defensive side of the ball. You know that he's looking for some vengeance. Uh, I'll take the Gators here uh, in that matchup, which would be a fun one. I'm excited for that one. It's, a, again, essentially a uh, SEC East 
title game, the winner of this game very likely to go to Atlanta to face the winner of the SEC West. Let's now go to arguably the biggest game of the weekend, and that's number one Clemson against number four Notre Dame. No Trevor Lawrence, obviously, and you know Clemson had that, that a little bit of a close call last week against Boston College. Interesting to get your thoughts now, man. Who, who do you like here, Clemson or Notre Dame? You know, this is another one, Fran, I went back and forth. I'm so pumped for this weekend because it looks like we're going to get multiple really good big-time matchups. You know, Clemson's quarterback, DJ, you know who I'm talking about. Uyangalale. 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 He's like Cam Newton out there, um, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. And I just think if you know her name, you have to win this game. I mean – if you're Notre Dame, you have to win this football game when you're going against a team that doesn't have the best player in college football. I think Notre Dame gets it done. I could have gone Clemson and thought, you know what, now that DJ Uilangale uh, got, got that under his belt that he'd be able to play even better. But this will be a really big moment for him at Notre Dame, under the lights. I'm taking the Irish. I'm going to go the other way. Dude, I'm going to count on Clemson. And, you know, I think you look at Uyangalale, uh, you say, all right, well, uh, you know, maybe you get those opening game jitters out. I thought the big pro- the problem with him last week, I thought that his presence in the pocket was just a little bit shaky. And you would expect that from a guy making his first start uh, as a true freshman. But I-, I look at the rest of this team and I say, all right, look, there, there was a- it was a rough start last week. You had the fumble on the goal line. They were getting ready to punch it in for a touchdown. Uh, the fumbled exchange then leads to a touchdown the other way. So you got a 14-point swing there. They shut out BC in the second half. And obviously, look, BC is not Notre Dame. Notre Dame number a top-five team in the country right now. But, man, like, and I say this, you know, I'm not you know, going, going nuts here, but when was the last time the Irish like, won a big game like this, right? Like where like all eyes on them, like this is their chance to really kind of cement themselves uh, as one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the country. I, I'm just going to put my, you know, my money on Clemson here. I just feel like you know, with, with what they've done, uh, even without Trevor Lawrence, uh, I feel like they'll, they'll ride DJ Uyanglele, uh, Travis Etienne, those stud receivers. Um, you know, I, I'm going to look here to Clemson, and I, I think that that's the, that's the team that comes up with the win. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. Now, the rest of these will all be Pac-12. We're going to go with an over-under. 0.5 interceptions for Washington corner Elijah Molden. Now, uh, real quick, just for some background, Elijah Molden initially did opt out for the 2020 season, but once the Pac-12 said they were coming back, he said, hey, I'm throwing my hat into the ring. He is going to come back, and he is going to play. I think when you look at Elijah Molden, the big thing that you see with this guy is that he is a really physical, instinctive player, 5'10", 191 pounds. He's going to be a two-year starter now at this point. He's been playing almost since day one. And, you know, one of the more impressive players that I've studied in the secondary so far in this class. Ross, interesting to get your take. Do you feel like Elijah Molden gets a pick in this game, or do you think he's shut out? Picks are hard, man. I mean, picks picks yep. are really hard. I, I'm, I, I would almost always go under on a guy to get an INT. I mean, a lot has to go right for you to get one. So I'll go, I'll go under on the – look, I know he's a great player. There's a chance he gets one. But, look, even if you have an awesome year, what's it, six picks in 12 games, right? So I'm going to say first game, no. I think it's probably an easy way to go. And this was probably kind of a slam dunk one uh, in terms of trying to g- gamble against that. I'll look at Molden, though, and he, he is a fun player. He does, play, by the way, play for uh, fans that are going to be watching the game, for listeners. Um, you know, he is a guy that's going to play mostly in the slot. Uh, some people view him as potential safety moving to the next level, similar to a uh, Minka Fitzpatrick-style mold player, right? And that mostly in the slot is listed with the corners, but at the end of the day might be a safety. That's kind of the, that's the type of player we're talking about with Elijah Molden. So uh, a fun player. Keep an eye on him in this game against Cal, which is going to be one of the more entertaining games uh, for the Pac-12 this week because Cal's got some players on defense that are going to be really, really fun. Uh, it feels like they've got their quarterback for the first time. So interested to see how Cal – kind of takes that next step. Remember that defense a year ago had really kind of caught fire, especially in the first half of the year. So excited to see what the Cal Bears look like here in 2020. All right, let's get to another game here on the West Coast. Oregon State, Washington State, over under one and a half sacks for Oregon State pass rusher Hamilcar Rashid. And this guy is a, a, a one of the more, I would say, uh, productive pass rushers, pr- productive edge players over the last couple of years. One and a half sacks. Big number here, Ross. Are you taking over or under? 
Uh, I'm going under. Now, he's a stud. It's funny. It's good timing, Fran, because Emery Hunt and I talked about him this week on the College Draft podcast, uh, which you obviously are very familiar about. And Emery loves this dude. Everybody loves this dude. And you put his over-under at one and a half sacks, so he must be unbelievable. I mean, to put the number at one and a half sacks, that is very, very impressive. But I have some faith in Nick Rolovich's offense there. They're not as pass-happy as Mike Leach was. Rolovich, at, you know, at Hawaii did some different things. And so they do have a run game. So it's not just pass, 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 pass. And it's hard to get two sacks. So, yeah, I think they're, they're going to pass enough. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, they're, they're not going to be like Mike Leach and throw 85% of the time, 87% of the time. But even if they throw 78% of the time, uh, I'll, I still like Rashid's chances here uh, to pick up a couple sacks. He had, I think it was either five or six multi-sack games last year playing for uh, Oregon State for the Beavers. So I'll take a, I'll take a look at Rashid. And just for, uh, again, for the listeners at home, Hamako Rashid is a guy, I mean, he's 6'4". He's under 240 pounds. So kind of long, lean, and not a lot of these guys haven't necessarily worked out at the next level. One guy that he kind of reminds me of is Tyus Bowser, um, you know, who was, play, was a second-round pick out of Houston, now playing with the Baltimore Ravens. Took him a couple years to really kind of work into that role, um, but he's got some experience standing up. He's got some experience uh, put his, putting his hand in the dirt. He can man up against tight ends and backs. That skill set will help him. Uh, he can win inside and outside. He's got a really nice inside swim move, uh, and he'll win with speed. So this is a guy that can win inside and out, He's not a power player. He's not a guy that's going to collapse, but a really loose, fluid athlete uh, that can make plays with his feet. So look for him to try and use that quickness to be able to beat uh, opposing offensive linemen throughout the year, but especially in this game. He had 14 sacks. That was number three in the country last year as a junior. So uh, keep an eye out for Hamaka Rashid in this game against uh, Oregon State, again, or against uh, Washington State. Again, I will take the over. I'll say that uh, he will get multiple sacks in this matchup. Let's go to number five here. The bigger number, and this was a matchup I actually highlighted earlier in the show with Ben, total catches by USC wide receivers Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn. So just those two guys going up against uh, Arizona State. So you get those, those two total catches or USC's margin of victory. How do you feel about this one? Oh, I think, I think it's total catches. I mean, I think Amon Ross St. Brown – uh, Tyler Vaughn, they're going to catch a lot of balls. That's what USC is going to do this year. And I think Arizona State's going to be able to hang. I like the underdogs in a lot of these uh, games. I'm not necessarily to win outright, but to just stay close and hang in these games. And I think Arizona State, Herm Edwards, he's been building that thing the right way. I think they will be able to hang in this one. So I think they keep it to below two scores. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown and Vaughn's gets to at least 10 catches. Forks up, baby. I'm going total catches. <laughs> See, I love the Arizona State program. You know, Herm Edwards, they, they've got a lot of NFL guys around that program. They're clearly building things, going in the right direction. But I look at USC and it's like, all right, they come in. And last year, it was a new offensive coordinator. You didn't quite know who the quarterback was going to be. You had injuries all over the place. And they were still, I mean, they were a very formidable group offensively. Then defensively, they were a mess last year. Now, uh, they are missing a couple players coming into this one on the defensive side, but I feel like they've tried to, uh, you know, fix what's going on over on that side. And then you look at the offense. It's year two with Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator and play caller. It's year two now at quarterback. They feel really good about Keaton Slovis. You look at these other receivers with the numbers they were able to put up a year ago. I'm actually going to take the USC margin of victory here. I, I feel like USC is a team that, I don't want to say a sleeping giant because I don't know if they're quite there yet in terms of the, the defense to, to the level that we expect from USC of yore. But I think that ultimately uh, the Trojans kind of get a big win here uh, in this game. So we got, what do we got? We got four, uh, four games where we went opposite here. Uh, should be a fun week. A chance here for you to, to gain some ground on me uh, in the overall season. Now last one here. Let's just pick our upset special. Uh, who's one big team you expect to kind of shock us here this weekend? You know, I, I had a couple different thoughts here, Fran. Um, I could have gone with Syracuse over BC after the Ooh. emotional letdown, uh, but I'm going to go instead with Liberty. Liberty uh -huh. is nice. good. Yeah. Liberty is undefeated. You know, Virginia Tech hasn't been good to me, I know, but I'm due. I'm due for Virginia Tech <laughs> to be good to me. I just think Liberty, this is their Super Bowl. Virginia Tech, it's like 
a weird non-conference game in the middle of all their conference games. I think they are ripe for the picking. I think Liberty gets it done. Dude, that's my pick, too. We've actually done this a couple times. Since we started doing the upset special, you and I have picked. We haven't gotten them right yet, but we've picked. Uh, we've been on the same side in a couple of these. Um, I, look, Hugh Freeze coming off a bye, right? So they've spent a couple weeks getting ready for Virginia Tech and that defense. Liberty is absolutely crushing it offensively right now. Each of their last four games before this bye week, we're all by one by at least three scores. They've already beaten an ACC opponent this year in a bad Syracuse team. Auburn transferred Malik Willis, a quarterback. He's small, but he has got a cannon, and he is putting up numbers in bunches. I like Liberty in a, in a shootout here. Uh, give me, give me uh, Liberty here in this win over Vatek. Uh, that'll be an interesting one, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, Ross, uh, like I said, this could be a big one. You could really gain some ground, or I could really extend my lead. Uh, excited to talk all about it next week here on the show. You know what's going to happen is we're going to, like, split all those games. And I'm not going to gain any ground. It's like, I'm going to win a couple of them. You're going to win a couple of them. But I got a chance, at least. I got a chance to make up some serious ground. Yeah, so you're saying there's a chance. That's all, that's all we're looking for at this point. Ross, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Really fun show this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Always great catching up with Ross Tucker. We'll see if uh, I can extend my lead a little bit here this weekend with the Pac-12 returning to action. Great stuff from Chad Ryder. Cool to get his insight into what he does. Hope you guys uh, learned something from Chad. And then, obviously, always fun breaking down matchups and players uh, with Ben Fennel. Hope you guys enjoyed that discussion as well. Quick reminder, if you can, please throw us your support. Go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Until then, we'll be breaking it all down next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, Driven by AAA.